Well, I want to tell you about uh, an event uh, in Scripture, and we'll get to the, the Scripture reference here in a minute, but I'm, I'm going to give you um, kind of the narrative here. You know, Samaria, many of you may know, uh, was not a uh, favorite place of, of Jews. In fact, Jews did not go through Samaria. The Jewish people were mixed, mixed breeds, is how they would have referred to them, half-breeds, ones that are, were not uh, purely Jewish, and they were of mixed descent. And so that was looked down upon. You know, the Jewish culture is very important to, to have pure, um, pure, be pure bread, if you will. And, and on top of that, um, their religion was mixed. They had a mixed religion. They, they would uh, follow somewhat of, of uh, the Jewish religion and then add their own stuff to it. And so it wasn't really any uh, true worship of God, the Father, as, as the Jews knew him. And so they really despised them. In fact, Jews wouldn't even cross through Samaria. You would go around. It didn't matter how much it shortened your trip, you didn't go through Samaria. And there's this cobbler that, uh, this cobbler that um, worked in Samaria, and he would uh, sometimes travel to the out, outlying areas and try to sell it to travelers. And, and uh, he's at home one time with his family, and he's uh, sitting at the table, and he, he's not feeling real well, and he goes on to bed, and and uh, plans to get up and kiss his wife and kids, you know, and then go on to work. And wakes up in the morning, look down and see his skin has, has blemishes. And, and fear strikes his heart because he recognizes the very onset of leprosy. And so uh, the fear of knowing that, you know, where are my kids going to do without me? Because, you know, leprosy, you had to be, it was a contagious, highly contagious. It was the kiss of death, really, in that time. And so you're going to have to move to the outlying areas of the city. You had to go out to a camp outside or outside the camp of the city, and reside away from there. You were to reside alone. You were to wear sackcloth so you could be easy, easily identified. You were to let your hair um, out and not kept so that people know. And then you're also supposed to cusp your hand over your lip when people would come within proximity of you and yell, unclean, unclean. So this is a horrible destence for this man. He's going to have to be away from his family. He's going to not be able to see his kids grow up and and ultimately, his disease will end in his death. And so a, as it happens, uh, part of it is, too, you can't be in worship with the rest of them in the tabernacle because of your disease. And so you're not even going to be able to worship in the style of, of your people. Now, uh, knowing that he's a Samaritan, we'll find this out in the, in the story a little further. But, but he goes out, and, and he goes and finds a refuge in place and, uh, and apparently makes friends with nine other men who have all been uh, sent out of their city. And he's, he's there, and, and at, at some point they see Jesus walking, not around Samaria, but coming through Samaria, which Jews just didn't do. And instead of them doing as they're supposed to do, where they're supposed to cup their hands over their lips and yell, unclean, they yell to Jesus, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And so Jesus, seeing them, tells them, go to the priest. Go to the priest and be checked. You're, you're healed. Basically, not, not you're healed, but go to the priest. That's all he really tells them. And, and see, what was the thing with the culture then is that if you uh, had leprosy or thought you had leprosy, you'd go to the priest, they would inspect you, and they'd be the one to expel you. And, and only if someone thought they were cured, which didn't really happen too much, could they come back to the priest, the priest could look at them and see if they could be accepted back and then they'd be sent on back. And Jesus tells them just to go and to the priest. 
And so apparently at some point as they're journeying on, uh, one of them or some of them look and, and they've been healed. And so they're excited because now as they went on at some point, you know, Jesus didn't immediately heal them. He said, go, and, they, and because of their faith, they're healed. But, but one of them, the Samaritan, runs back, falls on his face at Jesus' feet, and gives him praise and thanks for his healing. And Jesus is amazed by this and says, where's the other nine? Weren't there nine of you? Weren't there ten of you? Where's the other nine? And so this is where we, we begin with our message tonight. And I want this to really speak to those of you, and it may be all of you, who have at times waited for a miracle, but yet you're not quite sure uh, why God takes so long sometimes. Maybe you're not sure why the miracle hasn't come. But we see something in this story, I think, that will help us. And so um, we're going to follow up with this further. I, I want to ask you a question. How do you respond to miracles? You might say, Pastor CJ, I don't think I've ever experienced a miracle. Are you sure? Are you really sure? See, it's important to understand how to respond to God's miracles. I mean, to be oblivious to the fact that God has given you a miracle, or even worse, to take credit for his miracles as if you've done them by yourself would be a slight to God the only proper response is to glorify him from a thankful heart to 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 glorify him and give him credit for what he's done there's two responses either either recognizing or not recognizing and there's a correct and incorrect way to respond to miracles and so um, we're going to look at how these 10 responded and how one responded differently uh, to teach us the correct way to respond to a miracle there's some information if we were to back up in Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16. We'll actually be in Luke chapter 17 tonight. Luke chapter 17, and we'll be looking specifically starting verse 11. But if we were to back up to Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 16, we'll find some details concerning leprosy. In the Bible, leprosy is this dreaded disease that's a picture of sin. It's, it's really uh, almost used in, in a picturesque way of, of how sin affects us. Uh, this is alluded to in our text by the fact that the lepers are, are cleansed in chapter 17, verses 14 and 17. But leprosy rendered, rendered a man ceremonially defiled so that, he, uh, that if he was healed, he still had to go to the priest. Because remember, this is before the new covenant, right? He had to come to the priest and carry on an extensive ritual of cleansing before he could even be accepted back into the religious community of worship. I mean, there, there were times when someone might have thought they had leprosy. They had to go through the process. They had to be expelled. And then given some time, if they were in solitude, find out it wasn't leprosy. we we mistaken. I'm, I'm actually fine. But even at that, it was a, a long process to be accepted back. The priest had to, to accept them back. And so um, we see the same thing in the way the animal sacrifices and the process of being forgiven for sin it wasn't just a matter of get on your knees and say, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. You had to get your, your fatted calf. You had to get the best of the best of your flock or whatever your produce was and sacrifice it to the Lord. In the Bible, leprosy can refer to a number of skin diseases. It wasn't really just one. You know, in a previous message, I had uh, got some reliable sources that I, I had uh, read up and even saw a doc documentary where they said that leprosy actually people's limbs didn't fall off it was that they would numb lose feeling 
and they lose circulation, which causes numbness. And as that skin would start to de decay, that actually uh, the big thing was mice and rats in third world countries, they would come and eat on the flesh when the people are sleeping. So I did find out, though, that in biblical times, leprosy was a, a term used for more than just one type of skin disease. All of them very significant and had a lot of similarities, but it wasn't all exactly the same. In its worst form, it was what we know as Hansen's disease. And this is an awful disease that takes two forms. Both start with either a white or a pink discoloration of a patch of skin. And the more uh, benign form is limited to this skin discoloration in a number of places. And even untreated cases heal in, in from one to three years in these very minor cases, in this certain strain. William Barclay describes the hideous progression of the worst form of the disease as this. And, and from the story, I think this is probably more the strain we're talking about because there is an actual expulsion and uh, it takes a miracle to be healed of it. But it says it might begin, he says it might begin with little nodules which uh, go on to ulcerate. The ulcers develop a foul discharge, a foul-smelling discharge. And then the eyebrow, eyebrows fall out. Um, the eyes become staring, so you get this almost opaque, just uh, a dead stare. Uh, the vocal cords become ulcerated, and the voice becomes hoarse. And then uh, uh, the breath wheezes, uh, so the person becomes, uh, they sound very ill. And then the hands and feet always ulcerate. Slowly, the sufferer becomes a mass of ulcerated growths. So this spreads over the whole body. And the average course of that kind of leprosy is nine years. So it's a long, painful, disgusting, foul-smelling disease. And it, and it would often end in mental decay, coma, and ultimately death. So this disease really just attacks the whole body, even the mind, and, and that's how a person would uh, die from it. Leprosy might begin with the loss of all sensation in some parts of the body. The nerve trunks are affected. The muscles waste away. The tendons contract until the hands are like claws. And there follows ulceration of the hands and feet. And then comes progressive loss of fingers and toes until, uh, uh, until in the end the whole hand or whole foot may drop off. So there are different, uh, different ways that the limbs uh, get lost. The duration of that kind of leprosy is anything from 20, uh, 20 to 30 years. So even more severe. Um, it's that kind of terrible progressive death in which man dies by inches. Literally inch by inch of his body. So while the physical disease was horrible, the terrible social consequences in ancient Israel only added to the misery. Can you imagine it's one thing to be on your deathbed, to be able to say your goodbyes to that person and if you have belief in God, no, they're going on to a better place. You, you have a funeral for everyone to mourn, and that, that's what the funerals are for. It's for those who remain. You know, the person in the casket doesn't really care what's going on there. That's for everyone else. And then, and then for you to be able to say goodbye. But to know that that person is on the outskirts of, of the city, ostracized, you can't have contact with them, and you have no idea how long it's taken for them to die and what they're going through. So... The Mosaic Law prescribed that the person be cut off from society, including his family. He had to, to again, wear the torn clothing, his head uncovered, and uh, cover his lips and shout unclean. And when Jesus encounters these ten uh, wretched men who had been banded together, um, we, we have to almost assume that nine of them were Jews. 
And we'll get to that in a minute because in the story, when we read at the very end of the story, um, Jesus says, um, Jesus says, then answered, um, he fell on his face, Jesus feet, giving thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then also in some translations, uh, Jesus responds to him as uh, uh, the, the sojourner that came back, the, the one who was, or this foreigner, I'm sorry, not sojourner, but foreigner. So the question uh, still remains, how do we respond to miracles? I mean, this was a miracle that leprosy was, was healed in these men. Well, I want to give you three habits that prepare you for a miracle. Three habits that prepare you for a miracle. Because it's, it's my belief that when we look at the Word of God, that it's not that God's miracles depend on you being prepared for them or that, that, you, that, that people that receive a miracle is only if they did X, Y, Z. But many times God is trying to perform, perform a miracle in our life and because there are thir- certain things that how we handle uh, God's uh, interaction in our life, we may either A, not even see that they happened, recognize the happen. We may get in the habit of not giving him credit when he's done a miracle and then we don't tell anybody about it. It's kind of like the, the man who had got lost in the woods and he was lost for a long time and he wasn't really a, a, a man who believed in God until that moment and uh, knew that the temperatures were going to drop and his life was in the balance and he began to pray, God, please get me out of here. Please, please get me out of here. And, and so uh, the man lives to tell the story, and he's telling it to, to people, and, and often he'd get asked, okay, so, so God got you out of the woods? He goes, no, he didn't have to. A guide showed up and led me out. Many times that's how we are as Christians. We, we pray and pray for a miracle. God does something, and, and we just move on our way, and we don't see uh, because we're not looking for how he performed the miracle that he actually did something. Many people are blind to the many blessings that God daily showers upon them. We may wake to see the sun shining and do not give thanks to God for that very thing. I, I, many times driving from where I am in the country into the church on Sunday mornings, I'll get a nice display of uh, God showing off with the colors across the sky. And sometimes I'll snap a picture, I'll put it on Facebook, or I'll just snap a picture, and, and later I delete those. But it just catches me in awe of, of God's beauty and how he has created this this world and all the beauty for us people hear the birds chirping and see beautiful flowers and trees but they don't give it a moment's thought that god has given those blessings and given this them the senses to enjoy them we grumble about little things like uh, having to eat the same cereal over and over when there are people across the world we should be thankful that we're even eating breakfast they complain about their jobs, forgetting that, uh, that many would be grateful just to have a job or even have the bodily strength to go to work. Many complain about their lack of money and forgetting that they spend more on entertainment each month than many around the world earn as their total income. So whether you're a believer in Jesus Christ or a person who does not even believe in God, the fact is God has blessed you far more than you realize and far more than we deserve. Amen? Many times the miracles he works in us, we think, that's no miracle, that's just life. You know, I didn't have a job and I prayed to God and got a job. That's not a miracle. God didn't, you, you know, there's no connection between you praying and God delivered something that you had no guarantee was going to happen. Hebrews 11.6 says, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to the God must believe that he is 
and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. You have to believe that he's a miracle-working God. You have to have that straight in your heart already. Believe his promises that he works uh, miracles in, in the lives of those he loves. There are a lot of Christians even today, including um, a lot of people today, even including Christians that have the same philosophy that they need, um, that they have needs and that, that need to be met. And uh, they're calling out for mercy, but uh, it's always from a distance. You know, these men were calling out to Jesus from a distance. They, they had enough faith to call out to him, but, you know, it's interesting. They didn't have enough faith that if they walked up to him, he wouldn't step away. They would have known that Jesus was a Jew by the way he was dressed. His robe and the way he was dressed would have told him right off that he's a Jew. And that's, you know, we know from the story. I mean, they recognize something's off. He's going through Samaria and he's a Jew. And they've apparently heard stories. They recognize that Jesus is this man who can heal that they've heard of. And so just like him coming through Samaria, the, the message there is that God is available to you no matter where you come from, no matter what environment you are, no matter what situation you're in, no matter what depths of despair you're in, God is available to you. And like the lepers, he will help you where you are. All you have to do is call out to him. So many people say that they will come to church and all the things of God and they'll, they'll get their life straight. They'll start going to church, get their life straight and and they do things uh, to just try to give the image that they're trying to get their life on track, but they, they forget something very important. Is that is a miracle when a life is changed from sin to godliness. That, that church isn't the miracle. It's what happens within the body of Christ that's the miracle. I look across and there are so many different personalities in here. And I can tell you without Jesus as a common denominator working in our lives, we wouldn't have too, too many meetings before people would say, I don't need this. We're just enough different that, that in the natural, we would get really sick of each other and we would disband eventually. It's very, very hard to hold a team together. When I worked at Walmart and I was managing a team, man, all the resources, money they pour into team building. To trying to pull people together. Trying to help them be able to get along well enough to get something accomplished together, right? All they pour in. And see, what we've got is we've got the Word of God to pull us together. We've got Jesus and the, and the miracle working that He does within our lives. So He's taking a good look at them and He says, Go show yourselves to the priests. And they went, and while they're still on their way, they became clean. Did they confess their sin before they went to receive their healing? Well, it doesn't really say, does it? Did they clean up or change their lifestyle before they went and received their healing? No, it just indicates that they went. There wasn't, uh, there, the need wasn't dependent on their capabilities. They weren't responsible for the results. God was. You know, in other, in other scriptures, we know where someone's been told to go dip in the Jordan River, right? And God spit in some mud and rubbed it on someone else's eyes, and there's always something before, but I believe God included this for us to learn for all of, it, all of our lives that that. God's miracles are not dependent on some, uh, some set of actions ahead of us, but being more prepared to receive them. They weren't sin conscious first, they were Jesus conscious. They had a real experience with him. Taking a good look at him, he says, go show yourselves a priest. And 
Jesus knew that he had their attention. He told them go. And he didn't, uh, didn't say never have I such great faith or in all of Israel like yours. Or He didn't say your faith has made you whole be on your way. He said go show yourselves the priests. Can you imagine the questions they asked when the lepers came uh, to them healed? And even before that, think about this, tr- this journey. Think about when Jesus says go and show yourself the priests and they're not immediately healed yet. It happens on the way. Some of them are walking away thinking, uh, okay, what, what are we going to tell them? He's telling us go to the priest. I mean, we have faith that something's going to happen, but it's not happening yet. And, and they're going, and, and they're thinking, how, what are we going to do if we show up in the edge of town where we're not supposed to be as lepers? We're going to be punished. But you see, something's, something's very interesting about this story because, because it's not so much about just the fact that they that they went on their way, but when they're healed, they took off for the priest, right? They continued on what they were told to do, but, but what was so amazing about the one that turned back? Well, first of all, he, he realized this didn't happen without Jesus. This isn't just something for me uh, to take for my own without recognizing where it came from. The, the first thing I want us to realize about uh, truly uh, being ready, being prepared uh, to, to receive a miracle is we have to open our eyes to see the miracles that Jesus has performed. We need to be ready to recognize who did it. You know, I think about times in my life when I prayed for things, I prayed for things, and it happens, and I didn't stop and think, you know what, that's an answer to prayer. You know, and you've got to be careful about, you know, sometimes flippantly I pray about something, and I don't try not to do that, but I'm just like a desire in my heart. Um, I was talking to Jen about this the other day, and I mentioned about uh, Aura and Barb that have started coming, and Aura started feeling uh, sick with a cold, so he's not here tonight. But, uh, you know, they eat, breathe, and sleep uh, guns. And, and so this doesn't seem very spiritual, right? Uh, you know, guns are not a spiritual thing. But, but, you know, I found myself in ministry, like, I started losing, like, when my motorcycle broke down, I'm like, I don't really have a hobby. How do I really unplug? When, when, I'm, when I'm kind of away doing my own thing, what's my own thing to do to relax and and, uh, you know, I, I started back to getting guns. And I just one time remember praying. I was telling Jen the other day, I said, you know, I can't afford to go take these lessons on how to shoot, but I'd really enjoy being able to shoot better. So it'd be really awesome if somebody just came to our church that really knew how to shoot and could, like, just show me. You know, and it wasn't until he had been out of our house and we're going through several hundred rounds and he's giving me all these pointers. And, and, and it just hit me, like, the next week I was like, oh, I wonder if that was God answering that prayer that I just kind of, you know, it wasn't like I was down on my knees, just, you know, I was fasting all week for God to send someone. You know, it wasn't that, didn't seem that important. I'm just like, you know, that'd be nice. I, I'd probably be able to relax a little more if I had something I could do that wasn't so involved, you know, to get into. And, and we, we make things, and we think they're silly because we think God doesn't really care about those kind of things. But what he cares about is increasing our faith. What he cares about is showing us that he's a good heavenly father, that he loves us. And sometimes we may say that, say those things and not think we really mean them, but God says, you know what, that probably would help you. You know what, I think I can, I think I can arrange that. So this, this man, the Samaritan, he realizes, he recognizes, he opens his eyes and sees that, that Jesus has performed a miracle. And he reacts to that. Second thing we need to do to prepare miracles is take time to honor the source of your miracle i mean this man fell at jesus feet and gave him glory 
for it. And Jesus says, where's the other nine? Nine others who received the same miracle, who actually came from a descent and a belief. As much as we can tell, it doesn't call out and say they're Jews, but as much as we can tell, they're Jews. These guys are running back to the priest, right? They're off to the priest. This guy comes back to Jesus, which Jesus is in Samaria. Where are the other guys going? Because see, Samaria had priests too. They just worshiped the wrong way, according to the Jews. So, so all indications seem that these men were Jews. And Jesus is amazed because this is the one guy who, who you would think would reject Jesus because Samaritans also hated Jews. And this is the one guy that comes back to thinking. kind of like the lady we talked about the man in the woods it's kind of like the lady who was on the way for a uh, important job interview kind of the same as the man in the woods and she's rushing around trying to get downtown and this is very important she needs this job and she's just like lord help me find a parking space help me find a parking space lord i need a parking space i gotta get this job you know how much i need this job she turns the corner and there's one right there in front of the building she pulls in and says never mind god i found one the same thing we we do those kind of things we forget we forget to give credit where credit is due, to thank God for things he's done, that we pray that he, he's good, he's a good heavenly father who will come through. The third thing we need to do to prepare for miracles is make your deliverance public. This story ends with this man that says that he loudly proclaimed, he loudly proclaimed that Jesus had healed him. He didn't go quietly and say, hey man, thank you, by the way, on the down low, thank you for healing me. He was shouting it. They shouted out for help, and then when it came time to give God glory, he shouted it out, he, it says, with a loud voice. Here's the thing. This is where miracles become contagious. See, we don't even often think that miracles are contagious. We're like, I don't see miracles happen around me. Why not? Um, we're just not opening our eyes. We don't see it. And then we, we, we forget to give God or Jesus credit when he performs a miracle. And then, then we get to the end and we forget to proclaim it. How did these men know that Jesus could heal? How did these ten men knew, know, recognize Jesus and know they could heal? Someone had already been healed or seen someone healed and they were telling it and it got to them. And so in turn, they had faith and they called out to him. Pastor, why don't we see miracles happen all the time in the church? Well, maybe it's because we're not, we're not spending enough time to celebrate in when God's done a miracle and that we don't spend enough time to tell the story that God has done a miracle in our life. And we, we may get up and give one testimony at church, but we need to be telling everyone we know because somewhere along the line, someone's going to have the same need or something similar or even something different. And they say, you know what? If you had faith to believe, I'll believe. Miracles are contagious. In reality, it's just God's wanting to do a miracle for everyone. It's whether they'll have faith and believe for it. And so this is where the rubber meets the road for our, our church, for us as a body, is, is we want to see things change. You know, I've had several conversations with people lately, like, hey, pastor, for a while there, it seemed like, you know, Wednesday nights were packed. And then it's like, where's, where's people going? You know, we, we've had some Sundays that are lower. Where's it going? And, and, you know, those are real concerns, and, I, and, and those are rightful questions. And, you know, I find myself kind of scrambling, saying, well, you know, I know this one person kind of felt like this is where they need to go, and, 
or this person's been sick and you know kind of explain away and i'm thinking you know what here's the thing I, i'm gonna this is my step on toes but when we get serious about experiencing god in a miraculous way and fitting with our series on sundays in a supernatural way people won't want to miss and it's not about the church service it won't be about whether they made it the service at new song people won't want to miss being a part of what's going on in the lives of the people sitting in these pews and they'd be at the job place people you work with begin to change every every major revival you know it shakes up the town it spreads like wildfire because people are going to work saying i was i was sick i'm healed um you know i was addicted i was delivered and people are telling the story of the miracles that god has performed in their lives and it spreads like wildfire and you know what i just don't have the energy i've been putting a lot of thought into this in fact i've talked uh, me and dave and bob met for a meeting and we were talking about you know kind of where what happens why people kind of fall out and they or they decide they're going to go here or there and i'm like we're not competing with other churches but it still it still hurts you invest and you grow with people and then you're like they're they're gone and we're trying to build something here and i was talking i think on sunday maybe i mentioned on sunday you know i have to have a pastor too so i have some mentors but i listen to other people's messages and i was listening to a message brian jarrett and and he was talking about a time when he went to a mentor that he had had for a long time since he was 16 years old on the evangelistic field. And this was, uh, he didn't ever name him, but he said he was a big time pastor, big, huge church. And he had a big staff. And he happened to just be in that area and he thought, I'm going to stop by and see if I can just chat with him. And he goes in, and of course, like any good staff, they're running interference because what he didn't know is that not only is a pastor normally busy, but he was getting ready to go out of the country and he was literally just packing from his office when he needs from his office to leave and so they've already told him you know no you can't go in he says he happens to look over he sees this door it says uh, staff only he's like yeah so being young and and bold he just kind of walked in he heard the voice of his mentor so he walked in and he lit up and he said uh, you know uh he got to walk past all the that staff they told him no and he said he just wants to stick his tongue out but he gets back to the room and he's feeling good he's got he's got a little bit of time his mentor says i'm getting ready to go so i'm gonna keep packing but you but you sit down here and you tell me what you wanted to talk to me about and just know I'm listening. And Pastor Brian says, you know, I've just been struggling with why, um, how, how I could get to the next level in ministry. You know, I kind of feel like I've hit a ceiling here. How do I get to the next level? And he said, next thing he knew, that mentor he turned around, sat down, took his hands. He thought he was going to just look up and just with such surprise at the, the wisdom he had about wanting to get to the next level. He says, mentor was just tears rolling down. And he said, what happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to the 16-year-old kid who just loved God and loved people? And God was blessing him and his ministry was growing because he just loved God and loved people. He said, what, where have your motives changed? What, is, what has gotten into you that now, now you think there's something how you can just, I could just tell you how to get to the next level? He said, just crushed him, but he, he, he realized that it had changed in him. There's a time that all that matters is love God and love people. And you know, I've had those same thoughts. I listened to that message. I bawled. I cried. I said, you know what? That is the answer here. The miracle is in the relationships with each other. The miracle that God wants to do in others, it's through telling the story. It's through identifying when God does a miracle to call it out for what it is. Open your eyes. See that God's done a miracle. And give him glory for it. And publicly proclaim it. And that's what will draw people unto him, not to a seat in new songs. So we have another mark on the attendance. But lives being changed.
Come on, church, who's that person in your life? Who, who's that person at work? Who's that person in your family that's just, they aren't getting it? You, you, you hunger so much. You, you, you spend time in your devotions like, God, I just want to see a mighty move of God in our church, and, and I want to see something happen here. You know, I love this church. I love this as the vehicle God wants to do ministry outside of it, but more than anything, I want us all to experience him in a supernatural, powerful way. I want to see miracles. I want to see gifts of the Spirit flowing in our services. I want to see people being willing. If, if the Holy Spirit gets all over you and you have to do a little dance in the aisle, I, I'm all for it. And not in the name of Pentecostalism as a denomination, but because the Spirit is moving. And I look at the story of this, these, these lepers, and I'm thinking, man, this is a guy who didn't even have opportunity before he got leprosy. Now, I embellished the story at the beginning. I, I said he was a peddler. I don't know that. I just wanted to tell you the story and how I would see it. You know? but, but here's a guy who, who his, his race and his religion, by the standards of the people God, was all half-breed. The religion was mixed up. They were mixed up. As far as Jews are concerned, they are just mixed up people. But he was the one that was willing to open his eyes and see a miracle has happened here. And I know who needs to get glory for it. And I'm not going to be quiet about it. God has done miracles, I'm sure, in the lives of people in this body that unfortunately are not being told. Or maybe not being recognized for what they are and sadly may not be given Jesus glory where he deserves it. So what I want to do is spend a little bit of time. We, we will, depending on how much time you want to spend in prayer at the altars, we will have some time, uh, be out early. But uh, I want to give us more time to spend uh, in prayer with the Lord. Um, there are folks here tonight that, that need a miracle. I know Miss Frankie, we've been praying for her, but she needs a complete miracle in her back. And uh, I'm just going to leave it up to you. We're going to spend time in prayer. If you feel led to, to come over and uh, pray for Frankie, uh, please do so. And if you need a miracle, I'll be up here in the front. If you need to be uh, need me to pray with you, I'll be glad to. But let's just spend time in the, with the Lord. You're welcome to stay and pray as long as you want. I'm gonna I'm gonna just say a prayer of, of closing, and and uh, you by no means need to stop uh, what you're doing now, but. Uh, Jesus, we just come to you and thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, that you have given us a guide, a guidebook, Lord, to know uh, what to expect in relationship with you. And, Lord, we know that if we have an expectation of miracles, Lord, that we, we prepare ourselves, Lord, that we know that, that there are probably miracles happening all the time in our lives that we've just not opened our eyes and recognized and give, uh, Lord, that we've not given you glory for and, Lord, that we've not told the story that it may spread. God, I just pray that you'd help us, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.